Hello, and welcome to the Chris Yeh Podcast. I am, as always, Chris Yeh. In today's episode, I interview former Marine Corps intelligence officer Adam Thomas, who was one of the competitors on Episode 7 of Mental Samurai this season. Adam was a great competitor. He came with a perfect backstory. He and his wife are both Marine Corps intelligence officers, and they actually met over in Iraq. Interestingly enough, you'll learn the full story behind how they met in today's podcast, and it goes a little deeper and is even more interesting than what you heard on television. Adam and I also discuss his life as a stay-at-home dad and what it's like to take care of small children, and we'll talk about some of the exciting things he's been doing since the show and the really cool direction that his life is going to take. I know you guys are going to enjoy this conversation quite a bit, so let's just go ahead and get to it. Hey, Adam, thanks for agreeing to come on. Hey, no problem. So it's fantastic to have you on. I guess the first thing that just comes to mind is I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you got to where you are today. Specifically, you're a Marine Corps intelligence officer. I think you you and your wife uh, met over in the Middle East, which is, of course, as Rob Lowe pointed out, one of the most romantic places to meet. The life, that things that brought you guys together and, and where you guys are today. Oh, well, starting out with uh, the story of uh, Danielle and me, um, we were both working in Iraq. I was working with the air intelligence side in Ali Ambar province in Western Iraq, and she was working with the ground side. And so we had to coordinate on a daily basis. Now, I was up at Al-Assad, and she was down in Ramadi. So we were about, I'd say, a four-hour drive you know, apart. And we actually didn't meet face-to-face in Iraq. We just had to coordinate every day on what was going on, her on the ground side, me on the air side. And, uh, you know, I joke with everybody that, uh, you know, I had to sweet talk her for information and it just went a little too far. So that is hilarious. So it's, uh, you know, we exchanged emails and uh, we kept in touch and we decided to meet and we really hit it off and we started spending more time together and um, we ended up both deploying this time I went back to Iraq and she went to the Philippines. So um, she was actually based out of Hawaii at the time and I was based out of North Carolina. So we actually got closer going opposite directions around the world. So uh, it was, it was interesting. You know, we were both working, uh, you know, crazy, you know, 18 plus hour days nonstop. And, you know, we made time to make it work and here we are. You know, we did distance for two years before finally uh, working it out to be stationed at the same place in Fort Meade, Maryland, and we ended up getting married, and now we have kids. That is fantastic. Uh, I'm very curious, where was the first place you guys met face-to-face for the first time? What was that like? So I was actually, I got special permission to come back and take a course in Yuma, Arizona, it's called the Weapons and Tactics Instructor Course. It's kind of like Top Gun, but for the Marine Corps, because I was on the air side. Um, and so she was traveling to New York and decided to stop in through Yuma to come visit me, because uh, she knew that uh, I had been deployed for over a year, and then I had come back and gone straight into a training pipeline, which in retrospect was a little insane, but uh, 
overall, I did really well in the course and I met her. And after the course, I went out, went out to visit her in Hawaii and uh, we just spent a lot of time together, enjoyed each other's company, you know. Now, was it the case that you guys already sort of knew, hey, you know, there's something about this person before you met face to face or were you trying to have this fiction of, oh, we're just friends and colleagues who knew each other? Um, hmm, where did the, where did we lose the idea that we're just colleagues? I would say that once we met face to face, you know, it was pretty obvious. I mean, there were, you know, little hints of that as we would talk about certain things, you know, we just had very similar approaches to life, you know, and of course we had the similarities of being Marines. I mean, that's a, a very close shared experience that, you know, most people can't share uh, so I, I think after we met face to face, it was kind of like, you know, this is, this is more than just, um, you know, we're, we're going to be friends and, and keep in touch and have fun. You know, we're, we're, there's something more here. There was mutual interest in chemistry. Absolutely. Fantastic. And of course the end result is you have these beautiful children. Tell me a little bit about them. So my oldest is Lorelai. She's four, almost five. They're both July babies, so they'll they'll be she'll be five in July. And my younger daughter is Zara, and she'll be two in July. And uh, they couldn't be more polar opposite from each other. They're just two completely different personalities, uh, which I absolutely love. You know, I, I get uh, two ends of the spectrum. It keeps things interesting. <laughs> Absolutely. And wow, Lorelai will be heading off to school soon. So that's a big transition. It is. We, uh, I actually just registered her for kindergarten uh, a couple weeks ago. She'll be going to California Public School kindergarten. That's It still blows my mind to say. Wow. And where do you live now? I think it's in Southern California. Oceanside. Um, so Camp Pendleton, Oceanside is the town just to the south of Camp Pendleton. Got it. Very beautiful. And I love that part of California down there in that San Diego area. It's just incredible. I can't think of a, a nicer place for the kids to be growing up. Although, again, maybe you were born, were you born in California? You were born somewhere else. Oh, no, I was, I'm actually from Florida originally. So when I got that question about the Daytona 500, I've actually been to the Daytona 500 before. So I knew exactly where, where the Daytona 500 was. Um, I'm from the Tampa, Tampa Bay area originally. So I, I still follow, you know, the Tampa Bay Rays and the Tampa Bay Bucks. And, you know, I'm, I'm a hometown boy when it comes to my sports teams, but, uh, well, the Rays are having a fantastic year this year. So that must make you happy. It's incredible. I mean, it, it's completely unprecedented. Uh, I've been well, they've happy gone to, to watch the world games. series before. I mean, this is not like a team that was incapable of winning. Well, even the year they went to the world series, they weren't just dominating the AL East like they, are right now. I mean, it's pretty incredible. And, you know, the Yankees have had a little, little bit of a slow start due to injury and the Red Sox have had a slow start due to who knows what, uh, hangover. Yeah, I guess. And, uh, so it, it's really been great, but I mean, the Rays have not, uh, led up at all. They, they are destined to win every game at all costs. So I've been happy to see that. Well, I'm hoping they get another shot at the World Series. I remember when they were in there, I was definitely rooting very heavily for them. 
Well, I appreciate that for sure. You know, I was actually at the very first Rays game when they started as an expansion team. So I've been a fan from literally day one. That is fantastic. Wow. I, I, I applaud the dedication and I hope that you get a chance to catch a game or two this year. I guess you can always catch them when they visit. I guess they must have a series or two with the Padres. Well, this year they do. Uh, you know, normally it's an AL NL thing, but they they do play the Angels being an AL team uh, at least once a year. So uh, I actually haven't been to Angel Stadium. I always go down to uh, Petco Park down in San Diego for Padres games. So it's a, it's a little easier to get down there, I guess, um, especially because of the. Uh, I like to take mass transit, so I can take the train down in and have fun at the game and then relax and ride the train back all up the coast, you know, looking out over the ocean. It's pretty nice. Man, what a beautiful thing. Now, one of the other competitors, a guy I actually know, Matt Potts, was also a Marine Corps intelligence officer, also based in San Diego. Do you guys ever run into each other? You know, we actually met when they did our uh, shoot for the show, you know, our, I guess, Be Real or whatever it's called. Yeah, uh, so we actually met, and my wife actually knows him because you know she works in the intelligence community. So she knew of him, and then got to finally meet him face to face. And uh, Matt is also Matt and I are also in Mensa down here in San Diego. So uh, we we knew of each other from that. I, I think that's how we both found the show. Actually, was an advertisement through Mensa. Yeah, there definitely is a strong Mensa contingent. And I remember Stephanie Thornton and Jameson Thornton said they'd also heard of Matt as well before the show, just through the the Mensa community. So it's obviously a very strong community. Oh, it is. And, uh, you know, there's they have a pretty strong social media presence as well. So uh, it's it's been really nice. I used before kids, I used to go down and into San Diego and uh participate in the trivia down there and uh, I forget where they used to have it, but um, yeah, I used to be on the, the trivia team for San Diego, but uh, you know, a couple of kids later, I, I can't really get down there to do that anymore. Unfortunately. Yeah, they do take a lot of time. And that's one of the things that I think a lot of people don't know this, but when my kids were young, they're now 17 and about to turn 15. So obviously they're pretty oh, man. grown. Yeah, it's pretty scary to think about that. Two kids in high school. Only old guys have two kids in high school. I mean, my goodness, how can I have two <laughs> kids in high school? But when the kids were born, one of the things that happened was my wife went back to uh, – work after maternity leave, but we didn't want the kids just to go into daycare and I didn't like the idea of having a nanny. So I actually spent a lot of the time taking care of them myself when they were very young before they were awesome. old enough to talk. And so I got a chance to actually be a day-to-day caregiver to toddlers and infants. And it was hard work, really hard work. Yeah. I, it takes a while to adjust to it. And I've talked to a lot of people about what it's like, you know, for, you know, people who are used to being very intellectually stimulated to then have to go through and you're, you're repeating, you know, animal sounds and the alphabet and, you know, how do you make it interesting for not only the kids, but yourself so that you just don't burn out as a parent. Uh, and so, you know, I, I spent a lot of time trying to think of creative ways in order to keep things interesting. 
Yeah. And part of it also is just, again, for a Marine, maybe it's not as big a deal, but for a civilian like me, it's physically taxing. You're not getting enough sleep. You are constantly running around trying to do various things and keep up with them. You're always on alert and it just takes a lot out of you. Absolutely. I mean, I, I don't, I mean, it's, I would say it's just as taxing for me. I'd say I'm just used to be, I've been through training to, to deal with that kind of thing. You know, uh, going through officer training, especially they're very big into training you to function while you're sleep deprived, um, which is essential training, especially if you're going to deploy to a war zone. I mean, there's a lot of missed hours of sleep, um, but yeah, it, it's, uh, it's definitely something you have to get used to. Well, if only we could send everyone into the Marine Corps before becoming married, it would probably help out a lot. <laughs> part, of, part of a, maybe I need to start a, a parenting boot camp. <laughs> Don't laugh. I think it could actually work. Now, the other thing you mentioned when we were talking before we hopped on is that since the show, you've had some interesting things happening in your life. You've started a PhD program. I guess you decided you didn't have yet enough education. Tell me more about that. Uh, I actually started a, a PsyD program, so it's a psychology doctorate. Uh, it's an APA-accredited program out of uh, the Chicago School of Professional Psychology in Irvine. And uh, it's a full-time program. I drive up there three days a week for classes. And, uh, yeah, I'm almost through with my first year. Wow. And it's been uh, amazing. You know, the goal is ultimately to be a counselor with the VA and try to help other veterans, you know, go through the transition process and deal with, you know, being home and coming home from a war zone. You know, that is so commendable and awesome because I think to myself that certainly there are a lot of counselors that work at the VA, but probably not all of them, maybe not a majority, maybe just a small number of them are people who've actually served in combat as well and can really have that empathy and understand where the veterans are coming from. So that just sounds like an incredible thing you're doing. Yeah. And explaining it to a lot of my professors, I think it's really the advantage is understanding not only military culture, but that deployed culture, what it feels like to wake up every day for 365 days and deal with you know, the idea that there are people right outside your little fence line that want to, you know, lob rockets and mortars over onto where you live, you know, what it's like to work toward a, a common goal to, you know, effectively meet your mission objectives, but you also want to care about, you know, the local populace and not disrupt their lives as much as possible, you know, so there you, you're always dealing with these moral dilemmas of, you know, is this target worth this effort or versus what's the impact on the local populace. And I, I think uh, that whole idea of moral injury and the moral impact of um, dealing with a combat environment for people who are generally good people, I, I think a lot of people downplay that idea within the veteran community. Yeah, no, I think that that's very important work. And it's just always inspiring to speak with veterans like yourself or, or Matt. I know Matt, for example, said that his plan after retirement, because he's been in for 19 years, so he's already filed his retirement paperwork. His plan was after going on a round the world trip to study architecture, he wanted to build. He said, you know, I've done enough destroying in my life. I want to do a bunch of building now. So right. it's just you know really impressive what you guys do. And I think that people don't always understand just how complicated it is to be deployed and, and your experiences are going to help those veterans. 
I hope so. I hope so. There's research out there that says that you know, veteran counselors do have a special bond with their clients and that does help them get better, sometimes faster. Uh, you can have a, a great impact when you're dealing with clients that uh, you can relate to. So Very cool. Now let's get to the subject of this crazy game show that we're on. <laughs> and you mentioned that you came to it through Mensa, but obviously not every single Mensa member in San Diego said, I'm trying out for the show. So talk to me, what appealed to you? How did you end up getting on? What was the process like? Well, I love trivia in general. Like I said, I was on the trivia team down in San Diego for a while. And so the idea of going through a trivia type show, I mean, you have general knowledge and puzzles and that and whatnot, but you know, it's more or less a trivia type show. Um, and then you add the physical aspect of it. And so I feel like when I'm sitting around with other Minsons and I think about, you know, where do I excel? You know, I think my background is a Marine paired with this idea that I um, am intellectually prepared to handle a trivia show. I think that the combination of the two really kind of appealed to me in that way. I wasn't really worried so much about the chair. Um, you know, I grew up in Florida going on roller coasters from the time I could meet the minimum height requirement. So I wasn't, wasn't really worried about that kind of thing. Uh, I was really more worried about the questions in general. And of course, you know, that little voice in the back of your head that says, don't let a million people watch you do something dumb. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I've talked to a number of people and so many people have said that their voice in their mind was just, please don't let me get the first question wrong. Please don't let me get the first question wrong. Right. So you decided to try out. Was it relatively quick or did they do a bunch of interviews? How did this happen? Um, the, I did an initial casting interview and then I did a casting interview with my uh, producer. And then I did a casting interview with Jeff, who I believe is the executive producer. That's right. The executive producer and creator. And, uh, you know, when I, it, it went relatively quick. I'd say, you know, I had an interview maybe once every two weeks. So within a month of my initial interview, I had an interview with Jeff and my interview with Jeff went incredibly. Uh, I did really well. I would say my second interview, I actually didn't do that great, but uh, I guess there was enough. They liked enough of my story to where, you know, they thought, well, we'll, we'll give him a shot. But I, uh, when I got to Jeff, I, the questions he had, I was, I was knocking them out. That's awesome. You know, it's funny. I think it was the opposite for me. When I went and did my interview with Jeff, I actually flubbed a question or two. I was like, oh my God, I blew it. I'm never going to end up on the show now. But fortunately, they managed to look past that. Huh, that's funny. Yeah, especially I remember the first one uh, Jeff gave me was um, like a pictograph where you had to, you know, you had pictures that sound, you, you'd use to sound out a name and it was Jack Nicholson. I remember I hit it immediately. And uh, I remember talking to some of the other contestants about it. And uh, they were like, yeah, I, I was stuck on that one for like five minutes. And I don't know, for some reason, I was just seeing the Matrix that day. Well, that, that, I think I even got that Jack Nicholson question. I was one of those people who was stuck for five minutes because I just couldn't get it. And I remember Jeff saying, it's right in front of you. Just slow down, close your eyes, take another look. And I couldn't get it. I'm like, damn it, I'm not going to make it on the air. <laughs> oh, boy. Now, when they tell you that you're going to be on the show, obviously you've got to make arrangements. You know, Danielle is, is still active duty. You've got the kids. How did you manage that? 
Well, actually, my mother-in-law flew out uh, to watch the kids for us because Danielle was actually in the field that previous week. And so I wasn't going to be able to do the show unless we had help. And so I was very fortunate that you know, my mother-in-law was so willing to just hop on a plane and come take care of the kids. I mean, she's super into her grandkids, of course, but you know, she was happy to be part of this unique experience. Uh, it was actually a, a little unfortunate, the timing, because I didn't go on until very late at night, but we were going to try to, they actually brought the kids up and we were going to try to get them on to, to watch me go through the, the, the whole process. And uh, that we ended up shooting so late that they had to go home. So it was unfortunate, but it is what it is. Yeah, that is, it is absolutely the case. A lot of people don't realize the audience at home, they don't know this shooting goes on all day and on multiple nights, it was, the shooting went on past midnight and the folks who went late in the day really had a disadvantage because you spend all day sitting around in a conference room with nothing to do, bored and tired and cranky. And then you got to go on at midnight and be live for the camera and try to get all your energy out there at the same time, answer these crazy questions. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, I went, I was the last one to go. I was, I went at 11 o'clock on Monday night and, uh, I had been up since, well, I guess I was up since five 30 cause we had to be there at six 30 in the morning. And so, uh, and they had initially told us that, uh, we would have our phones and then they decided that that wasn't allowed because it, uh, inhibited some fair gameplay so people could communicate and whatnot. So I didn't have my phone, even though I was, I thought I was going to have my phone. So I couldn't even communicate with Danielle as she's trying to coordinate how to get there. Uh, fortunately, you know, the producer uh, we worked with Mel, she was incredible and helped steer my wife with two screaming kids all the way into the studio and everything else. So we were, uh, we were fortunate in that way, but yeah, I, I remember just, at one point, just laying on the floor at like eight o'clock at night, just staring at the ceiling. Gosh, wow. So you were a Monday person. I was a Tuesday person. So we were coming in after you guys the next day. And we were obviously already there on Monday doing interviews and whatnot while you were recording the actual runs. So this right. is a, a huge endeavor. A lot of people going back and forth doing everything. Yeah, I mean, it, it was to me, it was really interesting to meet all the other people because, you know, it's a cross section and you don't normally get this cross section of all these different people with different backgrounds all in one room. So it was really kind of interesting to hear everyone's story and hear what everyone had to say. Were there any of the competitors who went on the air in the first seven episodes that you met on Monday? Uh, yes, I'm trying to remember their names. There was a gal. I, I'd have to look up her name. I feel so bad for not, for not being able to just come up with it. But uh, she was the one. She wore a purple blouse um, that literally ran out of time on the last question. Oh, Becky. Becky, yes. Becky, yes. She went uh, two before me. Oh, and wow. so I was I was basically sitting you know, in the on-deck circle waiting to go when she went. And I, I honestly think that see, seeing her run out of time, you know, set a little bit, set a sense of urgency that I definitely need to go faster as opposed to slower. But, you know, in retrospect, now that I've watched the show, it was kind of like, 
okay, you didn't need to go that fast. <laughs> yeah, so let, let's talk about your run because we've gotten to that point and it was a very impressive run and we'll talk about you know, what happened in the run at the very end, but we'll get to that. So you're in the chair, they strap you in. How are you feeling? What's running through your mind? It's almost midnight and you're tired, you're cranky, but now it's like, hey, national TV. So what was happening? Oh man, I, you know, it was interesting. I, I thought I would feel more nervous than I did. I thought that it would be really nerve wracking, but it was really just more exciting. I, I was interested to see what the chair was going to do and what, what it was going to feel like. And, and to be honest, the, the movements of the chair didn't really bother me. You know, I mean, I've been through some much more serious movements in, you know, a combat helicopter over Iraq than, you know, moving around in this chair. I mean, it, it's not nothing, but it's, you know, it, it was not really a factor in, in my thought process. I think the thing that really got in my head more than anything is that, you know, Rob Lowe, who I'm a huge fan of uh, from Parks and Rec. Uh, in fact, they they weren't able to show my my intro, I'm sure, for copyright reasons. But I immediately went out and said, this is literally the greatest day of my life, just like his character on Parks and Rec. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he thought that was funny. But, uh, you know, so I was really more... Uh, kind of uh, affected by the uh, this idea that Rob Lowe was watching me. I mean, some of it was, you know, the audience is watching me and there's a television audience watching me, but you know, it was, I think what got in my head more than anything was Rob Lowe's watching me. That is funny. I know I have heard from some of the heterosexual female competitors that he's so handsome that it's distracting. Being a heterosexual man, it wasn't as big an issue for me, but I have heard that it affected some of the competitors. He is pretty beautiful, I will admit. Amazingly piercing blue eyes. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yes. So you're in the chair and now you start your run. You're feeling good. You're like, wow, Rob Lowe's watching me. And you really, I think, are setting an incredible pace. And now we understand why, because you saw Becky's run. You're like, don't run out of time. Don't run out of time. And you were tearing through that course. Well, I knew I had to be quick. And, you know, you, you work through like, OK, I need to go at least you know, I've got about 30 seconds per question, but they have time to reveal the question and move the chair. So you really have to calculate like about 20 seconds per question. And so if you can kind of get an edge on the first couple, you know, which now that I've seen the show, the first couple are usually a little bit easier, you know, at least for most people. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you can kind of get a head start on some of the tougher middle questions because, you know, I, I think my biggest fear was getting onto one of those word searches mm -hmm. and not having enough time to go through and find everything. Yeah, and that definitely tripped up some of the competitors along the way. The word search is difficult. and Ironically enough, the pictograms have taken a couple of people down as well. Yeah, for some reason, the, the pictograms just make sense in my mind. I don't know why. Were there any questions? Obviously, Daytona 500, that's a, an easy one. Were there any questions where you had any concerns at all? Um, the spinning pizzas was actually really concerning for me because, you know, I've, uh, actually lost a little bit of vision in my right eye. And so I, you know, and it's late at night, so you're a little dehydrated and I, I actually wasn't seeing the screen all that well, maybe at 80% as opposed to a hundred percent. And so I was actually more concerned with stuff like that. I was really 
uh, it was really helpful that I got an audio question for my memory question because then I, I didn't have to identify any intricate aspects of a picture or anything like that. Yeah, I think that memory is the one that is generally the hardest for competitors because it's not something that we typically train for. Maybe as a military guy, you have some advantage you're used to reading a situation quickly, but I found it definitely challenging. Yeah, you know, what's interesting about the memory section is I actually consider it one of my strengths um, because I went to, you know, a, a very religious school growing up and we always had to do a bunch of Bible verse memorization. And so I got to the point by my senior year where I could basically, you know, about 20 minutes before, uh, you know, a Bible verse test, you know, where they test your memory and whether you remember the verse, you know, I could pretty much open it up and probably get about a, a 90% accuracy on, on being able to just read it, hold it, and then write it down, you know, within about 30 minutes. Nice. Nice. Now we do have to get to the final question <laughs> you, you, you took on. So, and yeah, I was watching and I remember thinking, wow, you know, this guy's doing great. And when you gave the answer and you said immediately afterwards, too fast, too fast, talk about what happened. You know, it's funny. I got that question and it was an easy question. And I was like, you know, I, I was, it was so easy that I was trying to work through it a little more slowly to make sure that, you know, I under, I made sure that I understood that it was this easy and it sure enough was that easy. And so I knew it was 60. I knew it was 48 for a fact, you know, I knew the answer was 108, but I took a split second in my mind to think about, okay, I've got this one. I've got the next three towers to go. What towers do I have left? And I thought, no, I, my mind immediately went back to no, check your answer and then go. And so I, I, when I did that, I, instead of moving the eight in 48 down, you know, in my mind as I'm doing the math, you know, I, I, I moved the four, I, I inverted it. And honestly, when I said it, I didn't even realize I had said 104. I thought I had said 108, but obviously when it was wrong, I obviously hadn't said the right answer. And so I kind of checked in my mind. I was like, no, it's 108. I must not have said that. <laughs> yeah. You know? And it was one of those things where, you know, this is the kind of insight that people just don't get just from watching the show. The fact that what had happened in that moment is you were thinking ahead to the final three towers, trying to remember which towers they were going to be and looking at the time and calculating that. That's the sort of thing that people don't know just from watching you on television. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there are people out there who are saying, look at this guy. He came in at 60 and 48. And, you know, I've, uh, you know, I had to kind of look myself in the mirror and be like, come on, mo most people are going to understand that you know how to add that. I mean, I do statistics tutoring in my spare time. Like I, I definitely understand that 60 and 48 is 108. So. Rest assured, I did not have any doubt that you knew exactly <laughs> the right answer. And we've seen this happen with other folks as well. In a previous episode this season, Heather Hurley, who did make it through all 12 questions, in the Circle of Samurai, she went out on a question where she knew the answer. She said the two numbers, and she just said the wrong number after that. Yeah, that it's so it's so frustrating because you you want to mulligan, you want to take it back, you want to say no, I can do this, but you got to be perfect. That's part of the show. Well, it was an incredible run, and I think you had the irony, of course, is that you had plenty of time. You had 
blazed your way through the path, the, the, through the trail. You had so much time left over. But again, now that circumstance of having watched Becky run out of time seemed like it was weighing on you and it may have just contributed a little bit. Well, that, you know, we can't talk about results, but there was another contestant in front of me that was out on the first question. And so I had Becky go and then he went and was out in the first question. And so I, you know, I, it really messes with your head. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, you look back and you say, you know, I should have had the wherewithal to say, you know, don't let that bother you. Stay on task, stay with your, your initial game plan and go. But, you know, it is what it is. I definitely had a ton of fun on the show. I'm so glad I did it, and I don't have any regrets whatsoever. Nor should you. It was a very impressive run, and I think anyone who came away from watching that would know all the different things that you're capable of, at least when strapped into a chair being asked trivia questions. So you have since, so as you mentioned, since the show, you have started your PsyD program. You are going through classes. Your daughter Lorelai is getting ready for kindergarten in the fall. Crazy, awesome stuff. Let's say somebody watched the show and they said, "That Adam Thomas, I love that guy. I want more of him." Where do they find you online? Where do they follow you and, and learn more about you and your life? For me, my my whole online presence is on Facebook. You know, A G T H O M A on Facebook. You should be able to find me. And I, I I friend most people, so there you go. He's a friendly Marine Corps intelligence officer. Uh, can you say the letters again slowly, just for folks who might not have heard? That's A G T H O M A Alpha Golf Tango Hotel Oscar Mike Alpha. See, that is the sign of the military background right there. You can just bust that out, and you'll be able to do that until you're 85. <laughs> Hopefully. Hopefully I'm around that long. Well, Adam, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule and, and sharing with us about your life. And I always love doing these interviews because I get to hear inside insights, things that just don't come through on the TV screen that really take you inside what happens. So appreciate all the things that you do and the way you're dedicating your life to helping other veterans. Any final thoughts before we go? No, I just want to thank you for, for reaching out and, uh, including me on, on this podcast. I think this is an incredible. I think it's going to be uh, a great thing for people to kind of look back on and, and really appreciate the show. Well, thank you. And we'll keep our fingers crossed. I saw in advertising week that it's considered a toss up for renewal. So let's hope it gets renewed and takes off and we're starting something big. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Adam, thank you so much for coming on. Hey, thank you. That was my interview with former Marine Corps intelligence officer Adam Thomas. I think you'll agree that was a fantastic interview where we really dug deep into some of the specific subjects, like the fact that Adam and his wife had never met in person over in Iraq and only came together after they got back to the United States, or the way that listening to Becky Eldridge's run actually informed his strategy as he was going through his mental samurai run and may have contributed to his acting too quickly and missing his final question. Again, these insider insights are exactly the reason that you tune into this podcast to hear it straight from the word of the contestants' mouths. So I hope you enjoyed that episode. Again, 
I want to thank Adam for coming on, and I want to thank him for all the great things that he's doing, both for his family and after he gets his PsyD degree, for the veterans that he's going to help readjust to coming home here to America. So once again, Adam Thomas, we salute you for everything that you do. If you like this episode, please go ahead and subscribe, share, tell a friend, like, do everything you can to get the word out about this podcast and Mental Samurai. We want to make sure that show gets that second season, and you can be a part of that as well. Stay tuned for more episodes, more interviews, more recaps, more Mental Samurai. I'm your host, Chris Yeh, and thank you for listening.